The Single Tracks Podcast is brought to you by TPC, the pros closet. Spring is the perfect time to upgrade, and TPC has an industry-leading selection of new and certified pre-owned bikes, plus frames, wheels, and accessories. Each certified pre-owned bike is inspected, tested, and serviced, and every bike includes 30-day returns. Visit tpc.bike forward slash singletracks and enter code singletracks40 to save $40 on every order over 200 That's the pros closet at tpc.bike slash singletracks and look for the link and coupon code in the show notes. Hey everybody, welcome to the Singletracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Wendy Craig. Wendy has been part of mountain biking since the beginning of the sport in California in the 1970s, racing and photographing the early repack races down Mount Tam. She was inducted into the Mountain Bike Hall of Fame in 1989 and curates the Rolling Dinosaur Archive, which chronicles the birth of mountain biking. Thanks for joining me, Wendy. Oh, I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, tell us a bit about your introduction to mountain biking. Was it love at first ride when you went out? Quite the contrary. (laughs) I was coaxed unwillingly into mountain biking, and it wasn't even called mountain biking then. It was called clonking, so that kind of gives you an idea of our primitive machines. My first bike weighed my first bike weighed 56 pounds. It had five gears. Oh, my goodness. Drum brakes. It was state-of-the-art for what it was. Mm-hmm. And my first ride was not the most pleasant in the world. It was, <laughs> on the, it was in the middle of a hot August afternoon, and the first section was a single track that was so scary. I tried to ride it, and I was just terrified that I was going to fall off. The second... <laughs> half of the ride was on the on a fire road that was just like being on a broiler pan it was scorching hot oh man and i think my my total mileage for that first ride was two miles (laughs) and i swore i'd never ride again i just i i hated it oh wow and unfortunately or fortunately i i lived next door to fred wolf who was good friends with charlie kelly who was good friends with gary fisher so there was this whole network of mountain bikers that were coming in and out of fred's house mm-hmm. constantly and it was pretty much fred that coaxed me back onto the bike we shared a love of wildflowers and hmm. uh we live right next to open space so i could mm-hmm literally walk walk or ride right out my front door mm-hmm. and within two or three minutes i'd be to be in uh, open space mm-hmm. so fred uh, being the naturalist that he was he knew where all the wildflowers were out there so mm. he convinced me that it would be so much faster getting out to that particular <laughs> spot mm-hmm. on a mountain bike so let's just try it let's try it you know and he was so patient with me and so we're all these other guys that were mentors and coaches, they were just, they were like brothers, you know, they included me in all their group rides. They made me feel like a sister Hmm. and they never demeaned me in any way. They just wanted me to be inclusive in the group. And honestly, Gary Fisher coached me in several mountain biking venues, uh, cyclocross, road racing, so it was a crossover 
they were all pretty much into cycling to begin with. So they had that history. I had no history of cycling. So I was a real newbie. <laughs> Not only was I a newbie to cycling, but, you know, this mountain bike thing was a brand new experience for all of us. Right. So we kind of experienced it together. And um, after mm, a little more than a year, I decided to get a camera to record the wildflowers. Mm-hmm. And um, before I knew it, the camera got pointed, got focused towards uh, the people I was riding with. And that included a huge, diverse group of people. I just, yeah. you know, it turned out it was all those guys that were doing the technological advancement of the sport for its time. They were making great strides and uh, just, they created this, uh, this counterculture you know, that became the mountain bike. It wasn't even, like I said, it wasn't even called the mountain bike back then. So it was definitely an evolution. It was, um, it was kind of like an, the evolution of man in a way, you know, it, <laughs> it, it was like we were all hunched over riding these, you know, pushing these gigantic, um, machines uphill. You couldn't really ride the bikes back then. I mean, five speeds barely got you. You know, we'd we'd grunt and push and and just do what it it took to get to the top of these climbs, and then we'd get to the top of these climbs, and we'd have this great party, this celebration. You know, <laughs> it was a it was a group effort that we all celebrated. And that was, and then of course the ride down, you know, was a thrill in itself. But for me, it was always that group effort of getting to the top and feeling almost like he'd conquered Mount Everest, you know, because it really was a lot of times we'd be out there all day, you know, just uh, focusing on the next adventure, you know, what road, what fork in this road are we going to take? You know, where does this, because we had no GPS, we had no cell phones, (laughs) you know, we just went by instinct, you know, are we going North, South, East, West, whatever, let's, you know, venture off this trail and try this and, so it was all an experiment for us. It was just a, a gigantic counterculture experiment. So yeah. we had a great, great time. And and in reflecting, it, it even occurs to me more and more as we get near whatever is going to be the 50th anniversary. I'm not exactly sure when that's mm. going to be celebrated because no mm-hmm. one has a timeline <laughs> to show this is the exact moment that the mountain right. bike was created because it was such a, a genesis, you know, a, mm-hmm. a, like an organic soup. And uh, fortunately, we had this um, Marin County, such a hot spot of creative minds, idealists, visionaries. And mm-hmm. uh, together, it just kind of formulated and just became what it is. And it, it kind of blows my mind, <laughs> you know, to think, to, to step back and realized that uh, I was part of that in some way. And and I used to say I was in the wrong place at the wrong time because I really, I never wanted that kind of attention. Mm -hmm. But realizing what those photographs chronicled is astounding to me because I captured not just the people and the places, but this feeling. Mm. I was able to just, 
on film capture that childlike innocence that we were able to we had no restrictions at all we had the whole place to ourselves and no one knew what a mountain bike was you know there were maybe collectively a couple dozen in marin county you know throughout the whole county so Mm -hmm. there were little nucleus nucleuses of uh riders in Larkspur and Ross in that area, and then others in Tiburon and Mill Valley. So it was spread all over the county, mm-hmm. but we really didn't know much about where you know the others were or what they were doing until Repack. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I think I heard Charlie say that it was Repack that really gelled the community, the the little mountain biking community, the clunker community together. Yeah, we quickly realized that we were not the only people doing this, you know, right. They were trying, you know, they were doing basically what we were doing. So it was, it was an eye opener. Definitely. And then especially when we went to Colorado, uh, you know, and as we branched out, we learned more and more that, boy, this is, uh, this is something that could eventually catch on. Of course, none of us realized how much it was going to catch on or that it would even be of the international scope that it is today. I just, it's a jaw dropper, you know, (laughs) you know, because like Charlie said, it was kind of formulated right here in Marin County. It's probably been happening. Well, it has been happening because People always rode on the dirt because there was no, you know, pavement back in the day. Right. But uh, to see that it actually was something that caught on like it did, it really caught fire here in Marin County. And yeah, most people were riding what I probably would describe as woodsy bikes, okay, which are the appropriate term. But but the mountain bike specifically was what we needed to conquer our mountains because we had some killer climbs you know and we Mm -hmm. we were just hippies when we were you know going out and wanted to explore nature and you know and (laughs) fire up the bong and throw up a little frisbee and we always had (laughs) our dogs with us you know we always we always looked at it like this giant playground an amusement park for mountain bikers and we truly had it all to ourselves yeah that's that's so cool to imagine and you know you mentioned those photographs that you took and you know i mean now those are iconic pieces of mountain bike history i mean that's that's how we can kind of imagine what it was like back then when you were taking those photos did you just imagine those were like you know for you personally maybe you'd share them with friends or, or did you think maybe there would be a wider audience or interest in it eventually it never occurred to me that there might be this kind of uh attraction and excitement about this. Mm-hmm. I was definitely taking them for my own personal use and just as a little memento, yeah. you know, to have for myself. And um, Repack kind of cemented the whole uh, photograph photography thing for me because it became a weekly event and people clamored to have their picture taken. So uh, we became kind of a popular yeah, oddity, you know? <laughs> yeah. Did you, I mean, did you think of yourself as like a journalist at any point where, where did you finally kind of flip the switch and say, hold on, 
like this is getting pretty big and and I want to document it? Or was it always just just kind of for your own personal gratification? It was uh, pretty much to share among our small group. You know, it never occurred to me that one day this might really take off and of be, you know, might be of some historical value. It never once occurred to me. Yeah. But as, as I look back, it's like looking through a fisheye lens and seeing, wow, not only were these photos significant, but some of the people that are caught on film that are no longer with us, you know, that's a real valuable asset to me to have that um, because they contributed so much to our sport. And they a lot of times they weren't given the credit where credit was due. So I'm glad that I got those people on film to show that they really were there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's so cool to me that we're at a point in our sport where we can still talk to a lot of the people who are there and, you know, we have these color photographs and everything. I mean, it really is, it's pretty amazing for, for mountain biking as a sport to have that. Well, you know, um, living in Marin County, we have the bike museum here. And Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, I visited yesterday, but we also have a lot of these pioneers that live within five miles. Um, (laughs) I'm talking Charlie Cunningham and Charlie Kelly and Joe Breeze and Jackie Thalen and Otis Guy and Mm -hmm. just scads of people. So my, um, my goal in the very near future is to have um, is to coordinate with the bike museum and do something called a speaker series called chewing the fat oh, cool! and getting all these old diehards together just for a couple of series of just recollecting and remembering what it was like and telling their stories and telling their reason mm-hmm. for staying with the sport oh, because right. a lot of them are still riding today <laughs> and they're still involved deeply involved yeah. you know either with education or just a nonprofit they're just doing their share they carry on that love that passion like Charlie Kelly or Joe Breeze and Otis and all these people are doing this volunteer stuff to educate the public about what it was like. And it just didn't evolve from nothing. You know, there was a lot of work involved and it should be known that these people, you know, they're still, not only are they still here, but they're still just kicking and rolling on and doing what they were always doing. So it's encouraging. For sure. Yeah. It's a lifelong sport and one that, you know, Yeah, people don't get tired of it. They want to keep doing it. So life-changing. You know, I was trying to Mm -hmm. put an actual word, an adjective on that feeling that you get. Mm. Not necessarily, I would almost call it a rapture. Oh, yeah. You know, you get caught up in this feeling that you can't really describe. It's almost like it's a spiritual kind of feeling when you mm-hmm. when everything coincides and say you're you're riding just with your the cadence of your pedaling and your heartbeat just kind of rhythmic and almost like a dance and you're out in this amazing beautiful wilderness area and you're hearing the birds and the wind and the wildflowers and the grass and the trees and it is a spiritual experience and I think 
a lot of that kind of got lost in the the quest for the downhill part of it. Hmm. So my goal really is to provide a little insight into what it was like on the softer side. Because a lot of us really were into that mother nature part, Mm -hmm. you know, and just for the joy of riding. And and although the downhill was definitely part of it, it was also that community spirit too. And just... Mm -hmm enjoying it and sharing it together with other people. Of course, I always like to ride by myself too for that solitary kind of uh, inward reflection that you get. But, uh, but what a joy it was to ride with people that were like-minded and just even for the, uh, that, that uh, primal pain that we got (laughs) from pushing uphill, you know, it's still a reward to get, it was a reward that adrenaline rush was, uh, you could cut it with a knife, you know, yeah. and the joy that we felt when we got to the top. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a great description and, and such a great perspective. I read that you were the first woman to ride the Pearl Pass route between Crested Butte and Aspen. And you kind of mentioned this uh, earlier, but what was it like connecting with other groups of riders who were sort of discovering this idea of mountain biking in parallel with, with you and, and the folks in the Bay Area? Well, We'd read about the Crested Butte folks, and we didn't really know what to expect. We thought we were going to find some hardcore, uh, dedicated riders, you know, and instead <laughs> we found, well, the first trip out there was kind of uh, comical because, uh, like I said, we thought we were in for a, a fight. Well, not a oh, fight, geez. but, you know, we <laughs> thought we were going to be showing our stuff, and uh, mm-hmm. and instead we we just kind of... <laughs> fell in with this group of well they were laid back townsies you know they were they were uh hard drinkers and they would have been more probably more appropriate on a motorcycle going over there (laughs) interesting pearl pass yeah they were obviously passionate about mountain biking Hmm. a small group you know maybe eight to ten of these guys that's that's what they were into Hmm. they were ex-forest fire fighters and uh, forest fire oh, wow. fighters so they already had knowledge of uh the outdoors and the high country and stuff so um yeah but uh when we when we encountered them we thought in a way that this has got to be a joke <laughs> and they were so impressed with us we became instant stars the instant we drove into town it was like <laughs> We got interviewed on the radio within an oh, wow. hour, and we were on the front cover <laughs> of the newspaper the next day. It's like, wow. They thought we were the hot stuff. <laughs> wow. Well, why did they have that impression? I mean, they had heard about you through various media, or was it like the bikes you brought, or what was it that impressed them? It was everything. The bikes we brought, our uh, our, our will, obviously, to show up. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, to drive that distance, you know, that was, uh, we had to rent a car. It was just the three of us. And then we met Gary Fisher at the airport. And mm. it was, you know, the the California contingent was a strong one. You know, there were, there were some hardcore, you know, of the four or five of us, there were some hardcore writers. And um, it was kind of funny because uh, I think it was the first or second time we did Pearl Pass. And the night before the tour, Joe and Charlie and I think Gary was there. We were cruising around 
on our bikes through town. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of guys from Texas and they'd heard about the tour Mm -hmm. and they saw me and they quickly assumed that I wasn't going to be riding it. So they, (laughs) they were were a little buzzed. I think they were drunk. I'm sure they were drunk, but Mm -hmm. one of them insisted that he was going to rent my bike and do it himself because there was no way in hell that I was going to ride that. If anything, I might've made it to the Cumberland pass and, you know, uh, the, the base camp maybe, but, uh, but I think that those, the guys were sort of impressed that I had made that, uh, ascent because it was not easy it was not yeah. easy at all <laughs> there was surely no air up there <laughs> yeah yeah it was impressive though isn't it? yeah yeah well i mean what did you think when when that guy was saying those things i mean did that make you angry or or did you just kind of brush it off oh no we just laughed we totally laughed it off but the, the truth is the more i laughed at him the more insistent he became and mm. i think he wanted he was losing face in front of his other drunk friends and so he got more <laughs> a little more insistent and a little a little more maybe disrespectful Mm -hmm. but i think it was all in jest too so i laughed it off i i i knew there was no way in hell i wasn't gonna ride so it didn't really affect me so well yeah i mean you mentioned uh those early rides and and a lot of the guys really encouraging you to come out and it seems like you know here you are 40 years later and a lot of people are still trying to make mountain biking feel inclusive for everyone to join in but, you know, there's challenges to that. So why do you think that is still such a challenge and, and the thing that, that we really have to work at? Well, to be honest, I'm seeing more and more hardcore women mm. um, getting into it. And I mean hardcore, uh, like <laughs> yeah. Red Bull type hardcore. And Right. Yeah. The Red Bull formation. Right. I am astounded and I am so encouraged and impressed and really just blown away. And I get a little wistful i i feel almost like Mm. wow look what happened you know this is astounding to me that uh that women are taking that pedal power and just really moving forward with it and calling it their own they they're like grouping up and you know just (laughs) so i I, i'm i'm shocked yeah in a way but totally impressed totally impressed yeah jackie phelan she didn't come on board until 1980, but when she came on board, it was like, well, we were all in the middle of the appetite seminar at the time that she showed up and she'd already ridden her, mm-hmm. I think it was a three speed women's bike from the city, which was already 20 miles up to the top <laughs> and then joined us. We thought we were seeing wow. a unicorn. It was so <laughs> astounding to us that. Yeah. And then she continued on the ride, and it was almost like no one wanted to acknowledge her mm. because we weren't really sure that we were seeing what we were seeing. <laughs> and uh, to this day, it still shocks me that she did that. Yeah. And from that day on, um, you know, a lot a lot of the guys would just not uh, – they would not even give her credit. You know, because she was a woman, I guess, but she hmm. knocked the socks off those guys. She she uh, proved her medal within the first week, honestly. Yeah, wow. So that was uh, 
I thought, wow, finally, because I could never have done that. You know, I could never have conquered, you know, those guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And she definitely did. So, wow, more power to her. Yeah, maybe they were just a little embarrassed or, yes, shocked at the very least, it sounds like. Well, they were very, they were very competitive among each other. So then this woman shows up and she takes them on in a way and uh, they didn't know how to respond, you know. Hmm. They were so shocked by it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. she was just a fine example of the power that women have on on a bike, you know. She Mm -hmm. uh, she just put them in her in their place immediately. Well, yeah, and then obviously you and Jackie and and many others laid the groundwork for you know these amazing athletes like Kate Courtney from Marin County. Yes, from uh, Marin today. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Very cool. So, (laughs) yeah. So you also mentioned in those early days, just the freedom to ride bikes pretty much anywhere um, around Mount Tam and, and the area. Were you surprised to see mountain bikers eventually get banned from riding on Mount Tam in the early 80s? Well, to be honest, there were two schools of thought. One was we wanted to share this among our friends, you know, whoever was willing to come on board we were willing to share, but at the same time, Otis Guy was always saying, "Don't tell too many people, you know, <laughs> yeah, because you're gonna, we're gonna ruin it." Mm. And there was a fine line. It was like uh, a razor's edge of mm-hmm. how do you share this, but and at the same time keep it somewhat private, because uh, for maybe the first five years. We had the freedom and total access for every single track, every fire road, everything in Marin County and beyond. Mm-hmm. And then um, eventually the law caught up to us. Mm. You know, we mostly had run-ins with equestrians or the Sierra Club. Oh. They were our two main foes. <laughs> and their point of view was that uh, – it was a motor powered, you know, uh, mm-hmm. vehicle accessing huh. where we shouldn't be. And so we had to start fighting, you know, the water district and uh, Mount Tam uh, watershed and just all these. It was became so political after a while, you know, going into the 80s. And like I said, the more people that came on board, the more political it got because we had these groups fighting among themselves. And it was. Oh, hey boy, took all the air out of the tires, you know? Yeah, I'm sure that was that was frustrating, especially because, yeah, you had been able to do exactly what you wanted to before that. And yep. It, yeah, it seems it seems strange. So tell us a bit about those early mountain bikes. You mentioned the first bike you rode was 56 pounds. 56 was, pounds. Yeah. It was an old J.C. Higgins frame, and I think I probably rode it for the first six months Hmm. and then i upgraded to a 1948 schwinn excelsior in my birth year so i was really excited about that bike except (laughs) it got ripped off within a month or so oh wow um from charlie kelly's front porch and i was really upset about that oh my goodness then my third my third but my third bike was a custom 1938 uh, schwinn world that Alan Bonds painted for me. Mm. He was the master. He was the fine craftsman of 
you know, airbrush. And he just had that master touch. He's such an artisan. And I was just, oh, I was over the moon with that bike. And I rode that until I was one of the fortunate ones who got one of the custom uh, breezers, the 10 originals. Mm -hmm. So I got my custom breezer. And from then on, I, that was my bike. You know, I just, I rode that bike, even though it was at least a size and a half, two sizes too big for me. I rode it over 50,000 miles. So just put on the, you know, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing stopped me as long as the wheels went around. I always told people because I never, I never really paid much attention to the mechanics of the bike, Mm -hmm. which is a bad idea. (laughs) I should have learned, you know, how the, the drive mechanism works and all that, the drivetrain and, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I'd go out on these rides by myself and I'd keep both fingers crossed because I was afraid if anything happens, I don't have a cell phone. I don't have any of the wherewithal to, uh, you know, I could change a flat. Mm-hmm. That was it. But if my chain broke or something, or if I had gearing problems, I was screwed. <laughs> so like I said, I always rode with both fingers crossed <laughs> and you know, if I <laughs> Only with only when I was by myself. Otherwise, I was pretty much assured that one of those guys knew how to. He had a chain, whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, a chain He's wrench. Just, he had the tools and the skills. Yeah, yeah, and well, the skills exactly. Yeah. Well, the, was that breezer bike that you bought that you put fifty thousand miles on? Was it expensive at the time? Like, was that a big investment? $750, which was a lot of money. My ex-husband and I both got one. Mm -hmm. And I heard Charlie saying that he had number two. I'm not sure. I think I had number six, Okay, possibly. It could have been a little further down the line, though. Mm -hmm. But um, all the guys that those bikes went to, they fit them perfectly, Mm. you know, because they were big guys. Mm -hmm. And here I was, this little, you know, (laughs) five foot four, five, six, or whatever I am. And uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was way oversized for me, but it didn't stop me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I loved that bike. I don't even know where that bike is now. Oh, no. Hopefully it survived. Well, it did survive. It might be touring in some international bike show or something you know i have to ask i should ask joe where that bike went because uh you know the the i think the proto bike is um in the smithsonian i believe oh wow wow what an honor i think it is i think it is yeah do you think that today's mountain bikes make the sport more appealing or accessible for people than than some of those early bikes oh absolutely absolutely um it was it was almost impossible to get a woman on board back in the day. You know, I, I was the only woman for the first three or four years. And, Mm -hmm. uh, as, as hard as we tried, we couldn't really get it to stick with any woman. She just would fall off. And, you know, of course we didn't make it easier, you know, on, on them by starting them out on the easier. We always started, you know, like, let's ride up Mount Tam for your first ride. No. (laughs) Right. And there were no shuttles. I mean, I guess you couldn't like drive to the top and let somebody just coast down. No, no. Well, we did that in the beginning. We, we did have that luxury in the beginning, but then eventually, at least for me, 
it was more of the reward to get there yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you valued the experience a lot more if you had to suffer for it. I thought suffering was part of the whole plan. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, a little suffering, 50% suffering, 50% pleasure. So <laughs> yeah. it was all, it was a mixed bag. <laughs> it's a good mix. Well, that, that leads me to my next question, which is what do you think of electric bikes? I mean, obviously that's meant to eliminate some of that suffering. You think, you think that's a good innovation or, or is that not really necessary? Well, I'm kind of on the fence about this because I, mm. I want people to get out and out of their cars. Right. And I think that's really healthy and beneficial to the planet. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think people need to have <clears throat> basic mountain biking skills. Mm-hmm. And I think if you jump on an electric bike, you just automatically think, oh, you know, I can do whatever these mountain bikers are doing, you know, right. and I got the power to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I haven't really made up my mind. I'm, I'm just kind of... Well, I'm just going to wait it out and see how it goes. It's getting really big in Marin County. so Yeah. Have you ridden one? No. I'm kind of stuck in the old world, you know. <laughs> I'm stuck. My, my uh, I think I have an 86 Custom Breezer, which is my, my go-to bike. I mean, I wow. love that bike. You, so you still ride that bike? I love that bike. Oh, yeah. That's my go-to bike. And I also have, a, um, up, I also have an upgraded, the high-tech Breezer. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really put much much mileage on that bike. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of intimidated by it. It's too almost almost too high tech for me. Mm-hmm. I'm old school. I like you know my my breezer is for me my own. That's that's my ride. Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. Well, so obviously a lot of the folks you rode with in the 70s uh, went on to start mountain bike businesses, Gary Fisher, Joe Breeze. What was it about those those guys? Do you, were they like entrepreneurs beforehand? Was this like, did this make sense for them? Or was it kind of like, you know, they found themselves there and then said, hey, like maybe we should do something? I think it was a slow start. I think it was a an eye-opener only after they had put in a couple of years, mm. you know, and and maybe stepped back a little and mm-hmm. saw where it was going. It's kind of funny because I always like to think that because um, Joe and Otis and Gary were also road riders mm-hmm. and racers. Right. And I, I was a road ri- rider racer, too. And mm-hmm. when Joe first made his uh, proto mountain bike, mm-hmm. we would take it. He would take it. He would bring it to these races. And after the race, he'd whip it out of the van Mm -hmm. and people would kind of look at it a little bit. But they weren't really acknowledging the bike. Hmm. They were looking at it from a distance, kind of like we're (laughs) sort of interested, but it's too (laughs) wacky for us. Yeah. You know, and it's too what are you doing? Yeah, you what's know? that for? <laughs> and to see, and then, and then to see them kind of slowly coming into our our camp, and uh, really over the years, it was the elite cyclists who got into it the earliest, uh, mm. and they uh, they kind of advanced the sport when they started racing, mm-hmm. and. We got promoters and, you know, it became big bank. Yeah. So I think that really kind of influenced the whole process of, you know, how it evolved into what it is today. Just, 
it's it's not at all <laughs> what <laughs> what we were riding back in the day. So yeah, was that ever? Were you ever interested in in sort of joining the bike industry or like working for a bike company or, or any of that stuff? Or was it always just just more of a hobby for you? I actually worked for Fisher Mountain Bikes, um, or Fisher Kelly Mountain Bikes back in the day mm-hmm. for a couple of months. <laughs> I did their shipping and receiving. Okay. And then I ended up moving to Hawaii for a short time. So I had oh, to wow. quit that job. Mm-hmm. And I also worked for White Industries for a short time. So um, I've kind of delved into that a little bit. But um, I'm finding that uh, possibly the real deal might be in my uh, images in the mm, collection yeah. of uh, yeah. you know the archival collection because it's gaining momentum the further we get from uh you know the origins of the sport people are becoming more and more interested in how this happened you know it didn't just overnight you know evolve into what it is today and a lot of people think it just kind of happened but it didn't (laughs) right it was kind of yeah. like planting a seed and, and then I'm watching it germinate in all these different ways. You know, it kind of sprouted here and it sprouted there. Oh, I'm sorry again. Um, so it was, uh, it was like a pet, a petri dish. You know, <laughs> it was just almost a scientific experiment in a way to see, uh, you know, what, what these guys are doing here and then see what these guys are doing here. And mm-hmm. as we uh, got more, uh, the network got bigger and bigger Then you know, we brought in or they came by themselves. We didn't bring them in. They just became these uh, visionaries in themselves, you know? So they contributed highly. They contributed highly. And I like to see the uh, chronological timeline of how this happened, you know, and we had such creative uh, people involved and they were just doing their own little thing and advancing in their own small little way, you know, right. and just kept increments of uh, creativity that got bigger and bigger until, wow, before we knew it, the mountain bike, as we knew it, doesn't even exist today, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That is really interesting to think about how, people were working on so many different parts of that and solving different problems, making bikes lighter or, you know, more rugged, or even, you know, now people talk about trail building. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't on anybody's radar in the early days of saying, how should we build trails for bikes? Because it was really just about let's, let's ride the things that already exist. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a real explosion. Well, actually, actually, back in the day, we kind of did do a little bushwhacking ah. of our own. And it was, we'd go out there with the hedge clippers and Fred would bring his chainsaw occasionally. And we'd build <laughs> oh, wow. our own little trails, you know. But they were mostly like little mini connector trails that would get us from one trail to the other. They weren't major um, advanced networks like there are today. Mm-hmm. I live right next to Tamarancho. And 40 years ago, the trails that are out there now did not exist. Um, The mountain bikers put in a 7.2-mile network of mountain bike trails, single track, that is astonishing. I mean, Mm. people come from all over the world to ride in my backyard. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's some of the best riding you can do. The flow trail is so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
We never had that. We never had that back in the day. I mean, we had we had trails and we had all these different nicknames for them, you know, the dead heifer and the, uh, the broken wrist trail and the hobbit trail. And we had our own little nicknames for these trails, but now they're on the map as being, you know, officially, you know, right. part of the whole legal network. So <laughs> yeah. I like to ask people, where are you from? Mm-hmm. And uh, I've run into groups from all over the world, all over the world. It's just become an international thing to come to, well, Fairfax, you know, and ride where the pioneers began it all. I, I In fact, um, I've recently gotten a little flack uh, on my Facebook page because I've I post twice a week about the old days mm-hmm. and I, I got this flack from this one guy who thought it was all self-promotion oh. and that's really not my goal at all is to self-promote. I, I would just want to share yeah. because it's so amazing, you know, and it's just so interesting and it's so enlightening. Yeah. That, that definitely comes through for me. For me, yeah, just seeing your enthusiasm, you know, I mean, 40 years later, still advocating for biking and, and what, you know, your description of, uh, you know, this feeling of rapture. I mean, I think mountain bikers everywhere can identify with that. And yeah, it's, it's completely genuine for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of funny because when I um, first came on board, I had a real dilemma. I had already spent several years creating my own business. I'm a textile artist. Mm -hmm. And so it became a real challenge for me. How am I going to ride my bike? (laughs) And so, Mm -hmm. you know, what am I going to (laughs) do? Not enough time to do both in the day. Not enough time to do both. I need to be cloned in some way or something. (laughs) This is a real problem. And at one point, I, I actually kind of semi-imagined that I could take my sewing machine on a trailer on the back of my bike out to some beautiful, you'll have a little compressor. What a fantasy, you know? It would have taken me all day to haul that stuff that far. And then to sit out in the wilderness, I'm trying to get away from it all and Mm -hmm. have my sewing machine and the compressor going. What a, I mean, I was out there, you know? Yeah. But eventually, eventually I just solved the problem by, I would get up every day and I can just look out my window and see to the west so I'd know what the weather was doing. Mm-hmm. And my whole day was focused around my ride. I uh, did yeah. that for 30 plus years. I just rode like a maniac. But the first, <laughs> probably the first five years when I was, you know, initially introduced to the mountain bike, I took it and just ran with it. I was so excited, especially if I was able to get out by myself. Mm-hmm. I really felt felt like Amelia Earhart or something. You know, I felt like, boy, oh, yeah. I am empowered. I can do this all by myself. And I, uh, I have a uh, topo map of Marin County, and I have all the trails, all the fire roads highlighted with a yellow uh, marker, you know, yeah. a highlighter to, and the whole map is filled. The whole map is filled. Wow. Up. So every single day was an adventure for me. And when I got that, uh, that feeling of empowerment, you know, mm-hmm. 
I was off. I, I, you couldn't keep me home. I was just out there for hours and hours a day, but then I'd come home and I'd do my textile art, you know, and I just kind of found the, the nice balance and it actually, the mountain biking energized me, oh. you know, and it almost, almost was a, a problem solver in some ways because if I had a difficult uh, project I was working on, I just stop and let it go and go mountain biking. And then eventually in my head, I'd solve the problem. Right. And it was like therapy on wheels. Right. I always, I've always said that this is like therapy on wheels. This is a, your own private shrink. It's portable <laughs> right. and it's free. Yes. It's free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I use my mountain bike for so many um, stresses and psychological breakdowns. You know, I, you know, in the in the beginning, I just uh, had a lot of my brother died, and I got divorced, and then my house mm. was being remodeled. I just had so many issues going on at the same time. I was overwhelmed. I found I'd just get on my mountain bike, and it would just all melt away. Yeah. And I just cruise for hours and hours, and it was the last thing I thought about. I was just listening to the birds, you know, and and listening to that cadence, you know, that heartbeat, and just kind of finding my center and restoring myself. So I've always advocated for that certain aspect of the mountain bike was, it was a rejuvenator. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still advocating for the mountain bike. I just think, well, personally it changed my life in every single way I can imagine. And Mm. it was the last thing I ever thought I would, you know, um, I was into, I was married to a musician and mm-hmm. I left home at the age of 16 because I loved music. I <laughs> loved music. So I go to all the rock shows in the city, you know, and mm-hmm. it it became a big part of me, although I don't play any instrument at all. But mm-hmm. um, it's, it's funny that uh, my passion for music morphed into my passion for the mountain bike. And it just, mm-hmm. it overwhelmed me. It became such a way of life for me that... I could never go back, you know, once you get hooked on the mountain bike, you're, you're hooked for life. And I have found that among my friends who it's their, uh, it's a vocation, you know? Right. Yeah. It, it really yeah. is. They've, they've, uh, they've lived it and they're mm-hmm. still living it. That's, that really, uh, impresses me that these guys are, and they're still riding. Charlie rode down repack yesterday. <laughs> Jeez. Yes. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. 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 Well, it's it's interesting because everything that you're saying is, I think, what you know. Even the newest mountain bikers today, they get that same benefit from it, and they, you know, you're talking about having your map where you've highlighted all the places you've been on your mountain bike, and you know, again, people are are doing that today. They're you know, maybe using technology to do it. They're using a smartphone app or something, but yeah, I yeah. think it really connects with what we all, we're all still getting the same stuff out of mountain biking here 40 years later. It's really cool to see how that all connects. Well, it's a genuine human connection. You know, we're all connected to mother nature and we've kind of turned, we turn that off, you know, um, we've become so, oriented to today's technology that we forget that 
we're really just basic human beings. So we mm-hmm. need to reconnect with, with where we came from. And that's mother nature. I've always advocated first and foremost for mother nature. I went to school to in the, and studied in the earth sciences. I wanted to be an oceanographer, a marine biologist. And uh, that didn't work out because I got caught in some undertow in, uh, in Mexico and that kind of. Oh, wow. Eliminated my my desire to be an oceanographer. So then I wanted to be a um, forester, uh, work in the Forest Service. And uh, I was the only woman in a class of 64 guys. And the first day, my professor took me aside and he said, I have to be honest. Now, we're talking about 1967. Okay. He said, I have to be honest with you. There are no positions for women. Oh. You're either going to be a secretary, you're going to clean the latrines, or you're going to be a cook. There's nothing else for you. He said, I have to break the news to you. That's just the way it is. It's a man's world. And I just was shattered. I thought, oh, Jesus. Oh, here I am back to square one, you know. But I've never lost my love for the outdoors and that that high country experience. I'm one of those people who, who loves the high mountains and the, and the pine trees and that, Oh God, that, you know, that crystal clear Alpine Lake that just, Ooh, that's beyond my expectations for Nirvana. You know, yeah. I know yeah. some people like the desert or the ocean or something, but it, for me, it's the Alpine. So this suited me perfectly. Yeah. You know, and and in spite of how difficult it was and the pain involved, it was just you were it was an enchantment. It mm-hmm. really was to mm-hmm. have that experience and just uh it was almost like you were gifted. You know, mm-hmm. we were gifted that we were almost the special ones. <laughs> In a way, we were. We were. Yeah, we were absolutely. just the, the chosen few, the chosen few, the golden ones. Yeah. I hate to say, you know, it sounds elitist, but we all just happened to be in the right place at the wrong, right time, mm-hmm. and it just gelled. Right. There was, there was no form or function in what we were doing. It just kind of happened all by itself, you know, just uh, – it was, I don't want to say it was a mistake, but it was a, it was, it was a, it was a beautiful thing that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I always have said too, like in talking with, with Joe Breeze and Charlie Kelly and, and some of those folks, you know, I asked them, is it, could mountain biking have been born anywhere else? You know, like it seems like the, that Bay area there is just something, you know, it's, it's the nature, it's the people, you know, I mean, a lot of things have come out of there. The the whole technology industry um, kind of came out of the Bay area as well. And so it, it seems like, it does seem like there's something in the air that's, that's special there and uh, yeah, hard to kind of put your finger on. Yeah. It's, it's a real hotbed for, uh, for creativity here. I just see it all the time, whether it's, you know, artists, musicians, it just happens to be a great place to live. I'm born and raised, uh, I was born in Berkeley, so I haven't gotten too far, you know, (laughs) just across the bay. You don't really need to leave this area because it's just so unique in its um, uniqueness. Marin County specifically, you can go from the Redwoods to the ocean, to Mount Tam, 
to the lakes. Just such a wide variety of, you know, natural beauty that uh, you're you're not left for anything. You know, you don't want any more. So we were satisfied in every way, you know. Yeah. We got a little of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you hope people get out of seeing and experiencing the Rolling Dinosaur Archive, your your project that is online, but it's also in person, right? You've done some exhibitions. Uh, what, what do you hope people get out of that? Well, it's amazing. The slides, the images have been used all over the world. They've been used in the Olympics, CBS News, Walt Disney. Mm. They've been used in so many different uh, publications. Of course, Clonkers, the the movie Clunkers was great. Yep. And Charlie Kelly's Fat Tire Flyer. I always recommend those two, the Fat Tire Flyer and the Clunkers. Mm-hmm. Those two, the publication and the and the cult film now, mm-hmm. they tell the story beautifully, I think. And they've both used my images. So the narrative plus the images and just the you can feel the passion in both of those uh, mm-hmm. you know, the media. Right. The love for the sport and how it just engaged us. And I think we were made better people. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. we just gained such insight into something so valuable and so simple. Mm-hmm. And my greatest pleasure is that um, it reignite that childlike flame. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't get into it until I was 27, which seems kind of old. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was already a kid at heart, and it didn't take much for me to just. This is this is great, you know. This is <laughs> this is really fun. So yeah, it just kindled it, you know. Yeah, it was already there. It just kind of resparked. Yeah, that's great. Well, looking at sort of where the the bike world is today. What do you see like the most connection with sort of the the initial? parts of the sport is it is it still pretty close to that ethos uh from when you were getting started or or have things changed in in maybe a good way or a bad way well well it's hard to say i i see it in both directions i see that um the downhill is getting really radical i mean Mm -hmm. it it is so it's beyond anything it's beyond the scope of what we could possibly have imagined any bike could have done. I see these guys on the Red Bull, you know, site, and it, it just, it seems superhuman. Right. And physically impossible <laughs> to do what they're doing. Right. But at the same time, it, it, it negates, I think, the true purpose of where we were headed back in the day. Mm. Um, I know that. I know that it was focused a lot on the downhill and repack and all that, but the true essence of it was really, I think the softer side of it is just getting out there and connecting, not just with yourself, but with, you know, like I said, mother nature. And Mm -hmm. it it was the simplicity of the age, you know, we just, yeah. And we we were fortunate that we were able to realize at the time what we had, and we just kind of ate it up. You know, we <laughs> we benefited rightly. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, Wendy, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat and for sharing uh, what those early days of mountain biking were like, and and your passion for the sport. So, uh, yeah, thank you. 
Well, it's been my pleasure. I was uh, a little hesitant to, you know, do a podcast. It's my first. It may not be my last, but uh, I had a really good time. I had a really good time, and um, there's uh, there's interest in the possibility of a film. So I'm scoping that out right now. Uh, it would be a Great. film about my my images, you know, and how they impacted um, the history telling, you know, because without those visuals, it would be hard to explain to people what we experienced. It was so rare right. and you just can't describe it in words, you know, except for the rapture. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. Thank you. We're all so, so lucky that, that you were there and that you had, had that camera and the foresight to, to photograph it all. Well, and definitely keep us posted uh, on the film project and, and your rolling dinosaur archive. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate you taking the time and um, expanding on my <laughs> my horizons here and, and letting people know about what I have to offer. Yes, my pleasure. Well, that's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.